Ladies, gentlemen, cultists from far and wide, welcome to the human energy field. Thank you for tuning in to this very special episode. I had a few uh, difficulties, but I wasn't going to let that stop me from being here with you today. I would have projected my words telepathically into the microphone if I had to, and who knows, maybe that's how we record every episode. As I'm sure you've gathered from the title for this episode, Jamie and myself are joined now by the original host of the Full Metal RPG podcast, Games Master, Arizona scene veteran, fellow denizen of the night, and to put it simply, a friend of the show, ladies and gentlemen, Brendan Carrion. What up? Good to see you, man. Really good to have you here, yeah, man. Thank yeah, you. I'm so happy to be here. Now, it's not like we need an occasion to have you on, but there is one. So do you want to bring our audience a little bit up to speed on the current state of things over there in Arizona? Uh, you mean in terms of the weather or role-playing or what? Give us a bit of both. <laughs> uh, well, you know, everything everything in uh, Arizona gets really hot around this time of year. It's a god-awful place. Uh you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be here, but I'm stuck being here. And uh, aside from that, you know, we've got because because it's such such a hot place, because it's such a terrible place, um, we end up having a lot of role playing to do. So we're inside role playing a lot. So we're always, you know, trying to be engaged in the hotness, whatever it is. Um, after uh, six years, and this is what I think you're getting at. After about a little, a little less than six years at the helm of Full Metal RPG. I'm. Uh, I've decided to step down from uh, my tenure there, so that uh, I can just kind of do do stuff that's like a little bit different. Um, you know, Full Metal RPG has been a good run. It's been very good to me. It's been very kind to me over the years, and I've made a lot of great friends. Uh, you and Jamie, definitely among the top. Uh, the fucking legendary conversations that go back half a decade or more at this point because I was actually talking to Jamie on Instagram before I even started the fucking podcast. So, um, but uh, like, like all good things, uh, it must come to an end, you know? I mean, I just, you get to a certain point in your life where you're like, I mean, and, and this, I, I'm sure you guys at some point will get to this with podcasting too, where you're like, what's the goal? You know, what's the, what's the end goal? Is there a point where I get to kind of like lay this thing down, you know? And, um, I just got to a point, especially in 2020. I mean, you probably heard this from like everybody, right? Where I had spent a lot of time thinking about my life and what I was, what I was doing with myself. And I was like, I just don't know if I see myself as a podcaster anymore. I'd really like to be doing some other things. Um, it doesn't mean I'm not podcasting anymore. I'm still doing Realm of Fire, the Warhammer podcast that I do. But I just really felt like I had said everything I had to say about role-playing. And um, it was time to kind of do something a little different. Does that make sense? Do you know what? Yeah, I can, I can really feel that because I can totally understand the mentality of feeling, you know, if you've been doing it for so long and anything I'm going to say is eventually just going to be repeating yourself. And I mean, it, I find myself stopping myself doing that, even though we're, we're only up to like episode 13 or whatever. We, I'm so careful not to just tread over old ground. Um, but yeah, after a while, like you say, I'm sure I'm sure I can totally appreciate saying like, you know, I've, I've said what I want to say, I've done what I want to do. And anything else is just going to be hit and repeat. Right. And you can, and there's like so many TV shows that kind of market themselves on that. It's just like people kind of become caricatures of themselves. They become kind of like distorted, like memes with catchphrases and stuff. And uh, I just didn't want to become that. I, 
on some level, and this this might sound a little weird, is I I do do a little bit of a character on the show. You know, I mean, the way that I am on the show is not. 100 exactly percent how I am in real life. It's very close, but it's not 100 percent because I don't think anybody could tolerate me if I was like that all, all the time. Just, you know what I'm saying? Like cursing and blathering about role-playing games and shit. But uh, I, I kind of was looking at it and I was like, is this something I want to do forever? Do I really want to keep like putting on this hat or is it time to sort of start reinventing myself in some other directions, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, this, this leads me to, a, to an interesting question. I, I, I hadn't planned to ask you this, but it's just, it's just popped into my head as you've been talking. Do you feel that when you were doing Formel RPG for that long, did, did you feel, I don't want to know specifics, but did you feel there was loads of stuff you wanted to say that you didn't or couldn't say because you were on a, you know, like a, a platform? that's uh that's that's good dude because um first first of all one of the things about full metal rpg that we started out was we were never gonna hedge on anything we were always just gonna we we wanted to have a kind of truth to power podcast and um we definitely started out being that way and i think that we got a lot of traction because of it but then as we were always striving to have more content, things got more complicated because one of the sort of starting positions that I was moving from with the show was I always wanted to be on the forefront. I never wanted to be like, oh, let's just talk about D&D 5 ad nauseum, like uh, regurgitating the same old tired shit, you know, or, or get real pedantic in terms of like, here's five tips for new GMs. I never wanted to do that kind of material. I always wanted to be like exploring the new thing. And what that did is it kind of led us into like independent developer territory and into Kickstarter territory. And we started having a lot of guys on, people who were pitching their Kickstarters, people who were pitching their new game and shit like that. And... The show, I felt like, went through a period where it kind of felt kind of like a commercial. It just felt like, it felt kind of infomercially, you know? And, I, I, and I'll, I'll own that, you know? In, in our attempt to raise the signal of independent creators, we just had this constant stream of independent creators who were pitching Kickstarters. And I didn't like that. That didn't, that didn't feel right. Like, it the the way of like linking kind of like commerce and like new ideas to me was actually ended up subverting what it was that we were about you you, you can want two things at the same time you can want to boost the signal of an independent creator and you can also feel like your show is just becoming a fucking shill you know what i'm saying so um i always wanted to have the people on pushing the idea but then I ended up feeling like we ended up having this kind of like, like it just felt like it was we were doing a lot of marketing, you know. So um, it, I, I feel to kind of answer your question is I feel like in that era we weren't necessarily able to push back on people as hard as necessarily I wanted to. Like I just like I don't know I, I can't think of anybody in particular because I felt like we had good creators and good designers on. But um, I know I, 
even if I had had a game in front of me that I felt was like like complete shit, I would have had a hard time having them on the show and then like being like your your game sucks, bro. <laughs> like fucking justify your existence. Yeah. I mean that that would have felt mean. Yeah. You know, and. And I will say that there was at least one point when there was an independent creator who wanted to be on the show and they wanted us to talk about their game and we were kind of like, no, <laughs> you know, that, that was the, that was the, the hardest that we got because I just knew I couldn't say anything nice about this thing. I didn't have it, you know, I, I didn't want it to be this big trap. But but if you look at the kind of like late stage full metal RPG, kind of like where we're at now, where essentially like in the middle to end of the Trump era, I just got so fucking sick of like alt right dudes like bumping their gums online, and I just started. I me Adam and I literally made a decision where we were like, we're just going to use the podcast as a platform for like leftist politics, and then we just started going on and just like putting people on blast episode after episode, and we lost fucking listeners. We lost. A, fuck fuck ton of listeners because of that but um i'm i'm happy that i'm happy that i didn't hold back and i'm happy that when uh essentially like america was in the midst of like a fascist crisis it still is spoilers (laughs) um i didn't step away from what i consider to be my duty which was to use whatever i had at my disposal to to present my opposition you know does that, answer, does that answer your question? Yeah, do you know what? It, it really does. And even in the limited, very limited, obviously, compared to yours, experience that I have had so far, um, you know, I don't I don't say the thing, all of the things that are in my head on the podcast. Of course I don't. Like, I would upset people a lot. I would upset a lot of people a lot. Not intentionally, not because I want to be mean, uh, not because it's my intention to upset anyone, but people would get upset. And I think part of what you're saying is with getting people on and the things that we talk about, is we make an active decision to kind of talk about the things that we like and we avoid talking about the things that we don't like. And um, I, I've already messed with that in my brain. I've already, that is already a, a challenge in my head this far in going, you know, why should I be, why do I have to like everything I talk about and why do I have to talk about everything I like rather than the other way around? So, but it, it is so hard. I'm a little bit freer on the Discord because you can be and I'm a little bit more free on Instagram because you can be. Um, but in an episode, I feel like I have to be almost like a, yeah, like an edited version of my opinion to a degree. And I, I, I try my best not to be, but it's definitely a thing. Well, it's a little bit weird when they got you on, on record, right? Like, uh, when you, when you're recording your words and you're putting them out there into the world, that's, that's a weird feeling. It's kind of, uh, there's something that comes with it. That's like, you, that you, again, you, like, kind of like you said, you have to train your brain to get used to that. And um, I, I see what you're saying. Like, sometimes you just want to light shit up, you know? Um, I guess since you're mentioning it, like, the V5, the early V5 era was confusing to us. I'm, I'm buckling up. I'm putting my seatbelt on for this conversation. <laughs> on, on one hand, we wanted them to do well. And on one hand, we wanted it to be good. On the other hand, it was a slow-moving train wreck. And that's not to say that there wasn't good stuff in there. And that isn't to say that there isn't good stuff in that role-playing game now. But at this point, we're like two or three years into the like post-publication, right? We're not even talking about the run-up, which at this point just is just seems like a clown show. 
but we're like we're like five years into it from when they like got up there and we're like we're gonna come back and there's gonna be movies and there's all that shit right and um and holy shit man like every time they want to release a book or they do a press release i just want to put on like yakety sacks and just watch <laughs> watch people start fucking running around in circles because they they can't seem to fucking figure out how to do it and and for a while, Adam and I in particular, we were kind of like, well, let's give these guys room to sort of sort it out, you know? And we, we wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt that there was something to sort out, you know? And then they just kept fumbling it and fumbling it. And at this point, I feel like V5, uh, the production, the design, separate from the game, is just kind of a joke, you know? The game, I think, has some stuff that has merit in it, but but the the design stuff, you're just like, oh my god. I remember when um, when V5 first landed, and I was um, spewing my distaste about it, like it, over everything, um, and everybody I spoke to would would defend it because everybody had sank money into it on Kickstarter or whatever, and they were defending their own kind of plot of land that they purchased, and. Uh, and I remember like arguing with people online on Instagram about how V5 was terrible. And then I kind of stopped because it was pointless and it was like banging your head against a brick wall. And now years later, all of those people are quietly kind of going, yeah, it's not so great. And it's like, and I, and I hate to be that I told you so guy, but I was like, yeah, I know. I was telling you it wasn't good because, you know, I hadn't spent $200 on it in Kickstarter and, you know, I didn't feel like an absolute fool. But yeah, so it's... Was it Kickstarter over there? Yeah. Oh, we are. I, it wasn't Kickstarter over here. Yeah, yeah, there was a Kickstarter. I thought that was just like they just came out with a bunch of money. Oh no, I, I'm, I mean, we'll have to check the historical records on this one. But I, in my in my head, it was a Kickstarter <laughs> or a pre-order maybe. But a Kickstarter I certainly pre- never Kickstarted right, it. I didn't, obviously. But I I was at the Gen Con where they did the big drop where it was to put where it was like the big the big we're here we're gonna own Gen Con this year we're fucking you know everybody needs to this is everybody's gonna remember this moment and it was just like it was dude it was sad it was like Pathfinder two uh, beta test edition was kicking their asses like. Like I was there. If somebody tries to tell you otherwise, I'm like, well, maybe maybe they perceived it a little bit differently. But I remember being there, and everybody at the White Wolf book having this kind of stricken look on their face because they didn't have anything. They they were they were supposed to have all this shit, and they had like one book. They had piles and piles of one book, and uh, it was it was just it was just it was it was weak. Let's just say right. weak. I remember there was a Vampire the Masquerade bath bomb that they released for V5. <laughs> it's probably about as, as, as good as the merchandise gets for that edition. Uh, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Adam likes to roast the, um, the, the, the ancillary products that they had done the licensing for, and I'm like... I, I don't I didn't really care so much about the ancillary licensing. Like, that was no doubt done in, like, a different office by, like, a different team. Um, but their failure as a as a um design team to create a game that people could coalesce around uh has damaged that property and and despite the like the efforts just like the countless hours that they seem to keep seem to keep pouring into it um 
it doesn't seem to be coalescing. I mean, they'll they'll tell you all sorts of shit about they'll 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 get in your face with all the razzle dazzle. But I mean, I don't believe them. I went to I went to Gen Con in 2019, and there wasn't even a White Wolf booth. Well, I mean, hang on, that's not entirely true. There was a White Wolf booth, and it was all board games. It was just board games. And like a, the the White Wolf, the White Wolf. There was a couple White Wolf guys in there lurking around, kind of in the back. And they would come out and point out the Vampire, the Masquerade branded uh, uh, board games that were coming out. But there wasn't any books or anything. If you wanted to go to the books, you had to go to the Modiphius, the Modiphius table. And Modiphius just had the vampire shit kind of mixed in with uh, all their other crap. Mutant Year Zero, Alien. And I think that that was the year that Alien came out. I could be wrong on that. And people were much more excited about the hotness of Alien than um, than just buying vampire shit. And by that point, again, this is, 20, this is uh, 2019... They still didn't have like a bunch of shit for me to go buy. I wanted to go there and buy some vampire shit. There's nothing to buy. There's nothing to engage with. To, you know, to to take this in a slightly different direction, but coming off something you just said there about um, vampire and alien, do you think this is that was maybe an early indicator of the fact that people are no longer as excited about um, reimagining old games as they are about new games coming out and new licenses coming out because. Alien was, I mean, apart from the leading edge 90s game, um, the really complicated one based on the Phoenix Command system, there hadn't been an Alien RPG. They hadn't made a proper one, you know, with source books and good art and stuff like that. And But Vampire, we've kind of seen it all before. So, and, and it's the same with Shadowrun. They've reinvented themselves, and I kind of feel like they've lost it a little bit. Um, Cult, there was a lot of buzz at the beginning, but they've kind of, people have kind of dropped off that. Um, you know, on and on these the Pathfinder. You know, all these games that are being reimagined. Uh, are they? Are people kind of not as excited about that as they used to be? Oh, I think that that's an interesting question, honestly. Because in when you get into marketing, right? Like the thing that people want is something that is recognizable. If you were to launch a new game today. And it was called like you know Jamie's Adventureland or whatever, against some fucking reboot of some fucking '80s shit that like all the guys that played it back then were are all super old now and you know but they loved it right. Uh, that that old game would have like a serious edge in 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 beating you out. You know what I'm saying? Um, like like the, we can kind of lightly touch on what's been going on with TSR3, right? And they came out and they were like, oh, Star Frontiers. We're redoing Star Frontiers. And people were like, oh, Star Frontiers is coming back. You know, it's just like, who has fond memories of yeah. playing Star Frontiers? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like, seriously. It, yeah, I mean, I, I was alive during that era. I played games during that era. I never played Star Frontiers. I just saw advertisements for it in the back of comic books. Um, so... Like Alien, you want to compare Alien to to VTM, and and Alien has a very recognizable name brand. You know what I'm saying? And I think people, when they Alien got released right after Mothership, and Mothership was kind of serving the Alien crowd, and then then Alien came along, and once it hit the general public, like you don't really hear people talking about Mothership so much anymore. The same thing kind of happened with. Um, Oh shit! I had it in my head just a second ago, and then and then and now it's it's uh, completely gone. 
Oh, for Christ's sake. It was some kind of fucking indie game. Oh, Zweihander. Zweihander, that guy, you know, people say what you will about the developer and what his design process was, et cetera, et cetera, but he uh, uh, put eight years into writing that game and getting that game together. And it's a beautiful game and it's very well done. And then, like, after it had been out a year and it had gotten distribution and people were, it was like in stores and stuff. And then uh, Cubicle Seven's like, oh, yeah, we're going to do uh, fancy role play. And then all of a sudden, the Zweihander books start making it to the back of the game shelf, and people are playing Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Now, are there as many people playing Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay as perhaps they want? Probably not, but like those old legacy properties will still beat out new properties that are sort of like in their neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that that's true, but in a way, it's difficult to have a lot of sympathy for Zweihander because it borrows so heavily and, and, and so obviously from a product that does exist and now re-exists. I'm talking about like fresh, brand new creative games that are not redos. Uh, is, that is what maybe more people are starting about. Because I remember the first sale of a 7C, right? 7C, first million dollar RPG Kickstarter. Now, I, I don't see anybody playing it. I don't see anybody excited about it anymore. I don't see anything new stuff, like whatever. I still see people picking up old books for for 7c so to me it's like the buzz is there but then where's the longevity in that you know i I just i can't see it yeah i i totally take your point i think that there's a real issue with people um i i think that right now we're in a crazy era of novelty and role-playing right like not only has kickstarter created a platform where independent authors can uh, get out there and take like a little idea and make it a big idea. And when I say a big idea, like big idea in role playing is almost nothing. You know, you can make a big idea for like ten, twenty thousand dollars, and you can take like a little idea and make it have an impact in the role playing scene for like five thousand dollars. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but at the highest echelons of role playing with Watsi and Hasbro and stuff, they've put fucking Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes or whatever on the New York Times bestseller list. So people have seen, oh, there's money in this shit. We can fucking make money on this crap now and so we have real companies being like like going into the old ip vaults and dredging this shit out um so there's just this constant wave after wave of novelty that's in the face of the rpg consumer and that is that is competing constantly for your attention and for your rpg dollars and i think a real question that faces all rpg uh companies and marketers and influencers and APs and whatever is how do we create longevity because it's not like it was uh 20 years ago or 30 years ago where it's like oh well here there's five you know we go down to the comic book store and there's five role-playing games on the shelf and they seem to be stocking vampire the masquerade so i can get it here it's just this is not like that, you know? If you want 7C to be a game that people are talking about, then what is it that you, as a designer and as a company and as a marketing department, what is it you guys are going to do to keep it in people's grill and keep it on people's minds? You know what I'm saying? What, what do you think of that? Um, I mean, I agree that, you know, you, there needs to be a different approach about how these old games are brought back. I'm, I'm not saying don't bring old games back, by the way. There are loads of games languishing in the time vault that I think should come back. You know, fair enough, Star Frontiers. I, didn't, I don't remember playing it either, but would I look at a new version? Yeah, sure. I'll have a look at a new version. You know, that's fine. But what I lament is that the industry is so the shelves and in, in 
um, independent stores and bookstores and whatever are so full of just the the same four or five licenses. It's Dungeons and Dragons. It's you know it's now it's whatever Cyberpunk or Shadowrun or whatever. There's, where is the new stuff? Where is it? We remember a time back when new games were coming out thick and fast. And where is like where is the new title that people are excited about? Because it's all just getting lost in like rejigs of Vampire, rejigs of Shadowrun, rejigs of L5R, rejigs of Seven C. Just like every game is a reimagining or a reprint of a game that already exists. And we're not getting a lot of that new stuff that's coming out. Well, I, I mean, I, I completely disagree. I feel like there's so many uh, indie developers on Kickstarter launching game. I mean, I could I could pauper myself just buying new games on on Kickstarter, and I, I think that some of some of those games fall victim to the foible that you're pointing out here, which is what's the long term game of them? And this was like this was kind of in some of the. Uh, conversations that Mark D.S. Truman and I had uh, uh, around Magpie, which is that as a developer, you have to be thinking about the longevity of your game, its replay value, what kind of community you're going to be building around it, what kind of legacy that game is going to have, because we're in this weird era of ephemera where people just go on on Kickstarter, they buy the $35 soft cover, they get it, they, they've forgotten about it by the time they get it, and then they just they put it on their shelf, they never play it. And um, I, I think that on some level we're seeing so much new shit coming out of role playing that it's almost overwhelming. It's just uh, I keep I keep kind of waiting for the bubble to burst, and I and I feel on some level to give merit to your point, I feel like on some level we're seeing this thing where kind of the snake is starting to eat its own tail. Like every time you go on Kickstarter, it's like here's a new PBTA game, here's a new Forged in the Dark game, here's you know, here's this game that kind of emulates a TV show or emulates a video game or something, and there's nothing that's really super brain bursting in it. But um, it's all much more fresh than when we were kids. When we were kids, and it was just like um, waiting for Pinnacle or whatever to put out another Deadlands book. You know what I'm saying? I I hear what you're saying, and I think, and I think you're absolutely right. But I, and I think we're we're maybe coming at it from two different directions because. I'm a big fan of the bricks and mortar game store or the bookstore or the, the physical place that you can go and hang out and look at books and stuff. And I know people have started to shop differently and I know they started to shop differently 10 years ago and the entire landscape of how people find books and how people purchase books has changed. You know, people go to the internet, people go to Amazon, people go to this, but none of that stuff is going to really, a lot of that stuff is never going to find itself onto a store for somebody who hasn't already backed it from Kickstarter who hasn't pre-ordered it or True. done whatever. So if you're not on it at that point, if, if I'm a, a guy who doesn't go online, if any of those guys still exist or, you know, whatever, as things change, if I go into a game store, what do I see on the shelf? Or have we reached a point where RPGs don't shit, sit on the shelf anymore because you just, you should order it online and that's the way things are. Cause that, that would be sad, right? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I actually oh, right, did an okay. uh, episode yeah. of our, uh, Full Metal RPG about this, where it's like if 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 game stores want us to be sad about the direction that the game store industry is going, then they need to become places that we want to be. And um, I, for one, am tired of having toxic experiences in role playing stores. And I know it, everyone else I know is too. And there's a few role playing stores, there's a few game stores that I really love. And that I never want to see go out of business, but the rest of them I'm basically like, fi. You know, like if you can't, 
if you can't get your shit together, if your if your store is going to be some kind of abscess that's full of like these smelly guys with like terrible opinions and bigoted attitudes, like and you can't avoid them when you go in there. Then, uh, then I don't want game stores to survive. You know what I'm saying? So, like a games workshop store, like a Warhammer store, right? <laughs> I I was in a pretty chill uh, Warhammer store this weekend, but uh, but uh, for the most part, <laughs> I can't argue. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I I I do want there to be game stores that serve that function of being the tastemaker. And that's kind of what you're talking about, right? You're kind of talking about the game store as DJ, where you go to the club, and you know that at this club, there's this DJ, and this DJ uh, is out there, they're experimenting with music, they know what the cool new shit is, they're not playing last week's music or this week's music, they're playing next week's music. You go to this club to hear that music. I want game stores that are like that. We're very fortunate in Phoenix, Arizona to have a place called uh, Imperial Outpost Games and the owner there, Darren, he's that kind of guy. If if he thinks an idea sounds cool, he'll he'll back it. He'll get it on his shelf. So you can find all those little indie titles on his shelf. But and this kind of goes back to what you were just saying, which is the internet has made it so that people don't go down to game stores to trade ideas like that anymore. Uh, they trade those ideas online and they form communities online and the way that your game has a life outside of Kickstarter is is you have to have people online in either like Facebook groups or Discord groups talking about it. You know, talking about it with each other and like pushing it to each other and being like, oh, have you played uh, Troika? You know, your Troika will change your life. You know, uh, game game designers need these fervent cults who who follow their work and are like taking fucking like uh you know um Chris McDowell books and like putting them in your hand you know honestly eh, this is how i see it the the game world needs people to be essentially sharing bootleg pdfs it needs people to be like here's this fucking pdf uh just flip cuz you can't see it in a store to flip through it Flip through it on a PDF, and if you like it, throw the dude some money, either on his Patreon or by buying the book. But he'll probably make more money on the Patreon. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a, it's it's a new economic model. You know? Yeah, my some of my concerns about that would be the the kind of devaluation of the product because um, people will perceive it differently if it's a you know, if it's not a big shiny book or whatever, and we can talk about the price of books separately. And, you know, that that's totally different if people want to shell out on a $50, $60 hardback plus. I mean, people are spending way more than that on Warhammer, way more than that on board games or whatever. But there is a, there is a move in the RPG community that people are starting to feel like they deserve everything for next to nothing or nothing. You know, where's the PDF? Where's the free download? Where's this? I'll play your game, but I, yeah, I'll pay what I want. I'll chuck you $5 or whatever, but I ain't going to spend $35 on a hardback or whatever it is, or $40 on a hardback. And that that is eventually going to end up with way more dross in, in the system than there ever was. Because all this stuff is coming out, all this stuff is free, it's much harder to find good stuff. And I, I wonder whether we're just, and I know I'm, that might sound like a bit of a purist, but are we watering down the, these these options and really what we're ending up with is more 
more quantity and less quality. Well, dude, I mean, I think what you're hitting on is what the, essentially the story of the 21st century. And you, the, we're going to go back to music again because music was the first thing to um, for this to happen too with the sharing of MP3s. Okay, and the the Macintosh company, Apple. One of the ways that they sort of revitalized themselves in the early 21st century was we're going to make these above average costed computers that are going to be marketed at artists. And then we're going to have artistic software inside of them that democratizes that democratizes artistic pursuits. So it's going to have recording software. It's going to have drawing software. It's going to have movie software. It's going to have software that lets you uh, use this nascent art form at the time, which was the podcast, right? The podcast was basically invented as an art form by the Apple Corporation, right? Sorry, iPods. Yeah, it was first broadcasted to your iPod, and that was where the name came yeah. from. Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, and, and uh, uh, the just just this idea that ordinary people can participate in art. Um, I mean, first of all, it's been incredibly freeing for expression. Right now, anybody can express, and you don't have to have that kind of like you don't have to spend years on your manuscript and then put it in a box and then go to New York and like go around to all the different agents and wear holes in your shoes and as they give you dismissal letters and then one of them sees something that they like and then maybe it gets published. You don't have to do that anymore. If you want to fucking write a goddamn, you know, vampire romance novel, all you got to do is fire up a fucking Wix page and then you can start pumping them out, right? Pumping out the vampire romance novels. Does that mean that there's a fucking shit ton of terrible vampire romance novels? Yes, it absolutely does. If you go on SoundCloud, there are like millions of terrible rap songs. Millions. But that ends up being kind of the the cost in a certain way of democratized art is that the purpose of the gatekeeper in the past was to give us things that were like guaranteed quality in a certain way and now we don't have that we have way more stuff and we get to choose what we think is quality but we also have to spend a bunch of time sorting through like bullshit (laughs) you know what i'm saying yeah yeah so does that place more of importance on taste makers like you were talking about and someone who is able to filter that stuff out for you and you can go to them and they will have you know the freshest beats or the the hottest takes whatever it might be we you know have those kind of I don't want to say influencer because it's a bit of a loaded word, but we have those kind of personalities maybe who are touchstones for tastes or you know particular kind of um, sub sub genres and that kind of thing. Look, I don't want to go there, but I'm going to go there because yes. I feel like I have to. And, and Jamie will never say this, and this may be my own arrogance, and maybe like somebody will hear this and they'll be like, I can't believe that Brendan Carrion guy has the fucking nerve to go on uh, fucking to, to, to put his words recorded out into the world saying this. But on this podcast right now, between the three of us are two of the first RPG influencers on Instagram in the world. Jamie and I had two of the very first accounts on Instagram ever that were just pictures of role-playing books. And then underneath it, it would say, 
Here's a role-playing book that I'm reading, and this is my thoughts on it. That's how we met each other, because there was no one else doing it. It was like there was this guy in England, and then there was this guy in L.A., and we were like, oh, hey, man, I see you're posting pictures of fucking Torg or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And that's how we got started. And here we are. This was back in 2014 when D&D 5 had just hit, and nobody knew that it was going to essentially change not just, like, who was, like, role-playing, but how they were role-playing, right? And now, like, you look at me, my followers, or Jamie's followers, and there's, like, fucking famous people, movie stars who have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers and shit, and they're all like, oh, hey, I'm fucking, what's his name from My Chemical Romance? I'm Gerard or whatever, and I have 500,000 followers, and here's a picture of me playing uh, D&D 5 and fighting a beholder. And you're like, oh, oh, cool. I, I guess I guess that's great, but like those influencers, those tastemakers, we were two of the original ones. I couldn't tell you how many fucking books I've sold for other people, <laughs> you know, just by uh, posting on Instagram and saying, "Oh, I found this fucking thing in a store. You should check it out." You know, what I'm saying, and then I went on and did a podcast that did the same thing. So there's very very much a thirst, I think, from people who want tastemakers to sort the dross for them you know 100 percent. yeah and their their work is becoming harder because that to keep on top of everything that comes out now is almost nigh impossible to 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 sample everything yeah you can look at stuff you can't read everything you certainly can't play everything anymore whereas you know you go back 15 20 years it wasn't too hard to keep on track of every every kind of main release that was coming onto a physical shelf but now there's just there's a lot of stuff man Dude, and that's one of the one of the things that has caused me to step back from Full Metal RPG is because, like, uh, this this last weekend we're sitting here we're speaking. It's July seventh, I think, and this last weekend, which was Independence Day, quote unquote. Sorry, guys. Sorry about the colony. Um, <laughs> it was Independence Day in America, and I ran Ravenloft, fifth edition Ravenloft, for some of my friends, and it was the first game I had sat down to run just for me, for no other reason than just for my enjoyment in years, like years. You know, everything else that I have been doing in the shadow of my own podcasting life has been like, well, oh, I need to stay on top of it. I need to know what's going on. I need to get my hands dirty. I don't want to be a podcaster who talks but doesn't do you know what I'm saying? If I'm going to talk about it, I need to know about it. I need to live it. And uh, fuck, man, it's exhausting. You can't do like, like I mean, you, there's no way you can keep up. You can't keep up at all. But even just trying to maintain a valid perspective is is almost impossible. And it and it eats your own joy at the uh, the process of doing the thing. I mean, dude, I, I've been railing for fucking years on my own podcast about how D&D 5 sucks, and I had a blast playing D&D 5 on the 4th of July because it was just fun. It was just fun to hang out with my friends and play a game, and you know what? For all of its, like, foibles, it's an enjoyable fucking game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's tough. (laughs) (laughs) I I understand where you're coming from, though, mate, because um, you want to have credentials, don't you? You want to be legitimate, and, you know, because I wouldn't want to listen to a podcast where people weren't the hosts weren't legitimate so 
you know, as as one half of the host, one half of a podcast, you you say to yourself, right, well, we've if we're going to do this, we've got to have credentials. We've we've got to make sure that we're bona fide. Otherwise, we're lying to ourselves. So it, to kind of scratch that itch, if you like, or to fill in that gap in your own mind, it, it does take the sort of things of, right, well, I'm going to run this game on this day, and I've got to be up to date with mechanics for this thing, and I want to be able to, you know, and it's it's not to say that put me and Jamie in a pub and put pints in our hands and we won't talk about role-playing games that we haven't played for years and years as if that we played them yesterday, you know, because like we were saying, you're not who you are on the podcast when you're elsewhere. So I, I don't I don't feel like I have to justify myself in person unless I'm on this platform and then I, then I go, right, well, there are strangers listening to me. I've given myself this responsibility. I now have to kind of upkeep that. So I've got to, make, I've got to stay on top of what I'm doing. So I definitely understand where you're coming from, yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. One of one of my concerns is that it, the things have shifted, and it's no longer about keeping track of just the the books and games that are released. It's become this thing where we are ever more presently um, given the information about the people who are creating these books, the people who are playing these books, the the companies behind them. I remember picking up um, I don't know whether it was Shadowrun or Dungeons and Dragons back in the day, and opening the credits book and and reading like names that were just mysterious names. They were just a, on a credits roll at the end of it. I would I never knew what these guys thought or what they looked like or whatever. But now creators have their own Instagrams and like creators have their own issues, and then creators do stuff wrong, and then we decide to you kind of hate this creator but love this one, and, and it's, this cult of personality is now attached to these RPG figureheads, which we then also have to keep up with and decide on what side of the line we stand on, which there's no decision because you have to stand on the right one because the RPG community has told you which side of this, the, the line needs to be stood on. And that that comes in with itself of being a, in brackets RPG expert. You then need to know this other whole social mess of of creators and what the creators are up to and, and, and their personal lives, which I mostly couldn't give a shit about it's a lot of work isn't it yeah <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a it's a big fucking pain in the ass brendan's sitting there all smug for listeners we're looking at his face he looks very smug right now for leaving his podcast <laughs> dude, dude okay look 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 this happened to this happened to us we uh i was a big fan of zach man i fucking loved yeah, zach's yeah. work and uh i i won't I won't. I won't cherry code it or whatever here. Uh, I still love his work. I think it's fucking great. Um, and I was always talking about it on the show. Uh, we to the point that we had him on to to pitch his stuff. Uh, we knew that there were all these kind of innuendos going on about like stuff that was going on with him in the background. And I thought like, ah, that doesn't involve me. That's not a big fucking deal. Um, why are other people's gossip problems my problem? They aren't. And um, he was, I mean, he was super fucking cool to me. Like he, we were friends on Facebook and like one day I was like down about my writing and he like came on and like, you know, boosted me up. And uh, it, it was painful for me to have to disavow him and to have to actually put some distance between my show and him because, you know, it just turns out that he's this character who is, um, you know, really reprehensible. And it turns out that, yeah, it is actually important that what was going on with him outside of the sphere that I interacted with, because it affected in, like, material ways the lives of other people. 
And so, uh, you know, in, in, in my mind, like, you know, I'm kind of an armchair anarchist. I'm kind of a slacktivist, ultimate 90s slacker, man, for life. And uh, uh, I have to do whatever it is that I can in whatever minimal way I can to to affect outcomes in the real world. And so that meant that we had to take it personally and be like, well, we can't be affiliated with Zach anymore. We have to roll back on Zach. I think we left the episode up because we were like, it's part of history. Like you can listen to his dumb thoughts if you want. Um, but I got rid of all my Zach books except like fucking Vornheim and Death Frost Doom. And, but uh, y- you know, I mean, I-, I do think it is important for us to, to as as the kind of like influencers and as the curators and as tastemakers to be involved in that stuff and to make sure that we're not platforming jackasses and and the shit that's going on with TSR three is like a perfect example because I mean yeah I want to Jesus they, they just these fucking guys man they can't get out of their own way you know <laughs> yeah so what tell tell me more about what you think about this TSR thing because to be honest I, I was <laughs> I was late to the party with this and I had to do a lot of reading around and and. And to figure out what was going on, and I think I got a pretty good grasp of what it is now. But um, obviously, people are, are, are upset. Um, do, do you think there's? Do you think people have a right to be upset about the way that that TSR have um, behaved online with it, with a few particularly choice kind of comments, tweets? I think they were. I'm not too sure. But um, do you do you think people are rightly upset? And do you think we live in a world now where? If TSR, uh, too much of the, the guys involved with this new TSR, because they're too much like dinosaurs and they don't want to grasp that idea of, of just being a little bit more, I don't know, awake about things, um, do you think that's really going to damage them before they even get the ball rolling? And could you summarize the issue for listeners as well? Please? Sure, sure. So uh, th- there was some kind of like hinky uh, trademark stuff that went on with the TSR name. And this is very common in these... First of all, if you understand how TSR got subsumed by Wizards of the Coast the first time, it it, it becomes very obvious that these people are not what you would call like super professionals. That entire group up in Wisconsin, these are guys that are kind of like... They're disorganized and they don't really know how to run a company. And so uh, they lost their company the first time and then they reestablished their company and then they had some kind of stuff with the trademark. Anyway, the point is is that Ernie Gygax, uh, one of Gary Gygax's kids, uh, took control of the TSR name and then decided he was going to launch a new game company that was going to have... Essentially, and, and they aren't using these words, so I'm kind of coloring outside the lines here, but they're, they're gonna, they were doing uh, OSR-style content, right? Um, and... Honestly, it didn't look very good. It looked just like kind of some cheesy nostalgia grab type stuff. We've all seen it. It's the same old story. Um, But then they started kind of bumping their gums online with their thoughts about like how people are in role playing today. They mentioned some stuff about about gender, which was not uh, greeted with much uh, uh, applause. And then they started kind of doubling down into, um, well, oh, if you're going to play at our tables then prepare to be offended type stuff, which is kind of very dog whistly. We know, we all know who the, these guys are who are saying this stuff now. It's very, very dog whistly. And um, when people started kind of pushing back on it, rather than just going like, oh, hey, sorry, we, uh, we maybe misjudged the temperature of the room. We apologize. What can we do to make up for offending you? 
they really started pushing back and they started this i felt like they threw some elbows like they they called that uh that one uh twitter personality they 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 called her disgusting you know you're disgusting because she was uh uh advocating for um trans trans rights trans acceptance you know and i think that the, i mean i think that's a real bad look i think that's a super shitty fucking look um now do i think that it's going to have torpedoed them before the jump. Yes, I do. Absolutely. Um, uh, I, I don't really see how they, how they recover from this. And honestly, I'm, I'm pretty glad that they aren't recovering from this. What there's, there's a little story here that people even in America, I don't think really understand. And I think over in the UK where you guys are, I think you guys might miss this one too, but do you do you mind if I kind of hold forth on this for just no, a second? No, no. Because this is go for it, this man. might this might take some backstory. Yeah, please, that's why we're here. Okay, okay. So, in America, we like to make these movies about like racism, right? Because racism is a big problem in our country still to this day, and it's definitely not over. But we like to make these movies that make everybody feel better, like it's done, right? And these movies inevitably take place in like. Georgia or like Alabama or something and they have a bunch of civil rights imagery in them and they have a bunch of like plucky white guys who like are lawyers and stuff and they're just like not gonna let the the clansmen of the town or whatever get away with it and um what this does this kind of media does is it sort of I'm gonna use the word now it whitewashes American history by not only giving us the idea that Really, basically, us good white people are are not down for this kind of stuff, and we're really helpful to people who are discriminated against. But also, that where these things are happening is in the American South, in a couple of states that you can probably name if you're familiar with this kind of media, right? Alabama, Kentucky, this kind of shit, right? In actual reality... The state where TSR3 is located and really where Gary Gygax and all role-playing comes from is Wisconsin. And Wisconsin is a fucking racist state. It's in the north, which everybody associates with, like, the north and the Civil War, and they were on the right side. But, man, let me tell you, in Wisconsin, you get up into the woods up there, and there are these little small towns that are all white picket fences and green lawns and American flags blowing in the background. And there's like dudes who will step on you if you insinuate that their grandfather should maybe not use the N word in public. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's that's his freedom of speech. Stop trying to tell that old man. He's an old man. You know what I'm saying? And um, I suspect that. The Gygax clan, by being in this sort of bubble, didn't really understand how far to the right and how exclusionary their politics were. I sort of suspect they have people in their inner circle who were telling them, hey, Ernie, you know what you should do? You should tell everybody how it is. Because then there'll be this, there'll be a big crowd and they'll all stand up and start cheering because you'll be saying what everybody's thinking. And that's just not the way it is. You know what I'm saying? The world's changing. The world's moving on from these guys. They need to get on our page. We don't need to get on their page. You know what I'm saying? You know what? I I need to interrupt you there just for a second, okay? Because I agree with you. I agree with everything you're saying so far, right? And, and, And I know where you're going with this. But there was a comment from the guys at TSR, whether it's true or not, that all of this hoo-ha had actually driven sales up. 
and we might we might like like to accept that that is like a lie or a falsehood and they're just like covering their own ass or we could perhaps think that there are a lot of really awful people who agree with them and want to buy their books Oh sure, you, is that possible? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and that and that actually kind of segues nicely into my next point, which is the OSR scene itself has become incredibly divided. There are the the OSR scene has in many circles become uh, considered that that term is considered interchangeable with sort of like problematic, bigoted, edge lord game masters and players. And if you want to play OSR or if you find yourself in the midst of an OSR community, what that means is that you're surrounded by these kinds of guys. Now, over the last five years, I've seen a real shift in that demographic. Uh, Maybe it's just confirmation bias on my part because that's what I'm looking for. But it seems to me like for the first time, there's a real fissure in the OSR community and that half of the OSR community is trying to say, we don't want to have anything to do with these kind of guys. OSR is for everybody. And then there's a bunch of these edgelord dudes who are saying, like, OSR is about, like, having a rape scene in your fucking game. And if they can't handle it, then they shouldn't play games with you, you know? Um, and to me, when you see things like the sales going up at the, at the, at the TSR store, like, I believe it. I believe that that group, that that demographic, they want to support their guys. They want to create that wedge issue. They want to create that division in, um, in, in the scene. But to me, and to like the people who I talk to a lot on the Full Metal RPG podcast, we have a like zero tolerance for for fascists kind of view. And then whether or not they are like literal fascists is a debatable point, but. To me, all ground is contested ground, and there should be... These are the guys that are always going online and being like, safe spaces are for pussies, but then they want their space safe spaces. You know, they want the OSR to be a safe space for their shit, you know? So there's no safe spaces for them. It, it is our obligation to confront them and to attempt to push them out of the scene because look what happened to skinhead culture. Look what's happening and happened to metal culture, to occult culture. Like these these guys, these reactionary rightist guys, they will get in their hooks. They will try to find a little a little uh, place to set up shop, and then like a cancer, they will work out from that area to poison everything they touch. And to me, I say you can't have it. You can't. There is no no safe ground for these guys. I've heard people they've gotten into my grill about this over the over the last couple of weeks, where they're like, "Oh, you should just abandon the words OSR." OSR should just belong to them. And I'm like, no, no. I would rather die a thousand deaths than allow these like right-wing reactionary assholes to claim the idea of OSR for themselves and then have a safe space where they can induct new people, where they can jump out from. Fuck them, you know? I, I, I will meet them where they're at. So you must have your work cut out dealing with Warhammer fans <laughs> and players, right? Because forget RPGs, <laughs> fucking Warhammer, um, fucking players and fans can be the worst. It's it's a constant uphill battle. And and I've heard we we were on um, Dice Thrower a few weeks ago or a month ago, and um, 
the the guy Will's only up to his I don't know sixth episode, seventh episode, and check it out if you if you get a chance. But um, he has different guests on, and people are saying like you know without a doubt all of the guests had something to say about this kind of toxic cancerous to use your words group of people in this hobby and i think it, it is bad enough in rpgs but i don't think it's anywhere near as prevalent as it is in that warhammer scene because that warhammer scene seems to breed that guy uh i mean here here's the deal with with your friendly neighborhood rightist right these guys are um you know i want to make it about intelligence i want to go though they're not too smart that's that's clearly not right there's some there's some obviously very clever individuals on the right, but they do generally almost to a T seem immune to concepts like satire and irony. They just don't really seem to grasp it. They, they take everything deadly fucking seriously. And so, uh, Warhammer has in its effort to be sort of a satirical that post Thatcher critique right an english sci-fi critique of totalitarian politics it has inadvertently really like courted these guys they've shown up in droves and they're like oh look it's a bunch of fucking aquilas and like roman roman iconography i'm getting chills you know what i'm saying they they really and there's like a lot of strongman stuff in uh in warhammer there's a lot of you i mean there's a crazy amount of eugenics uh, and they, and even though when you read the books and you interact with it, it's almost all like eugenics is fucking terrible. If you, the, the pathway to doom is paved by eugenics yet. They love it. They, they fucking, they fucking, you, you know what else there is? That's, that's, that's kind of rife in, um, in Warhammer that these right wing dudes love. It's sort of seething with homoeroticism. Like, like subtextual homoeroticism. Like these dudes, they get all worked up. They seem to hate gay people, but they also get so worked up for some of the like most homoerotic shit I've ever heard. It's super, it's super weird. And anyway, by kind of like, 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 like boiling down the elements of the Warhammer story. And they're doing this for an American audience because Americans are, I will say this, Americans are not the smartest people We're our culture breeds ignorance. And, um, we, we, <laughs> Henry's, Henry's nodding. We it's know. really true. We know. Yeah. We know. <laughs> it's super true. Uh, uh, our, our culture is not capable of understanding nuanced ideas that exist in a big gray area where there's maybe like a bell curve and on opposite ends of the bell curve, there's a little bit of white and there's a little bit of black and then everything else is gray. Our culture doesn't get it. We need binaries. Americans need binaries. Everything has to be good versus evil. It has to be the light side of the force versus the dark side of the force. We don't fucking get any, get anything else, right? Nobody, nobody reads that much around here. So... You know, GW, they know who buys Warhammer shit, which is fucking Americans. And so they're making everything about good versus evil. And I, 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 Chris Kohler, uh, Dungeon Punks, uh, 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 Slow Death Games extraordinaire, he was actually roasting fucking Warhammer one time. He's like, why don't you guys quit playing fucking Warhammer 40K, guest starring Jesus versus Satan, and play a real game? <laughs> And I was dying, man, because have you seen the cover of the Indominus rule set? It looks like it was drawn by Christian fundamentalists. It's very worrying. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I've I've kind of effectively emotionally bought out of Warhammer 
um a while back to be honest because it wasn't it wasn't the thing i connected with when i first started with it it had morphed over time and i kind of knew that and i had i had no longer was no longer the target demograph for it and that, that's okay you know things move on the old books are still there i can enjoy them that's all good I, i'm going to do that i don't need to keep up with all this other stuff but it's been sad to see other guys that i've been on this warhammer journey with over many many years continue on and kind of like step in line to this new beat this new tune that like gw were continuing to do and it's like you know super heavy competitive play and like reddit army lists and like all of this kind of stuff that you're talking about and it's like they just get brainwashed by it and i've never in hobby world i've never seen so many people just step in line with a company no matter what they want to do it's just it's kind of frightening I can't argue that. Uh, there's a lot of group think coming out of Games Workshop, and uh, the Games Workshop, Games Workshop has perhaps benefited from an army of influencers who spend their time marketing the product on their behalf, uh, just as much, if not more, than Wizards of the Coast has. I mean, um, there's it, you turn on YouTube and there's just thousands and thousands of guys. Just that's all they do apparently with their time is essentially kind of like write, sort of like propaganda movies for you. Like why GW is so fucking great. <laughs> I mean, you you remember Jamie? You remember the uh, uh, 2017? I think it was Good Guy Good Guy Games Workshop movement. Remember that? Like oh, yeah. they're so good to us now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know that I mean there was a time. I mean GW, they, they've gone. It's a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. If you've been on it long enough, you know I, I strapped myself back into the seat way earlier than I care to mention. Do you know what I mean? I was there at RT years. You know I was little, but I was there. And um, it's just it's got to the point where over the last couple of editions, I've had to to follow the analogy. I've had to squirm myself out from the bars and leap from the roller coaster <laughs> onto the soft ground because because otherwise you are locked in there. And and I've genuinely ended up having to stop playing with people who i know are good people but they just they want to play warhammer really badly now and they want to continue like sorry not badly the way i don't want to play it they want to be super competitive they want to just pound my ass into the ground when i when i play they're not interested about what models they want to buy they just read the best list buy the best models put them on the table gray sometimes not even with arms on and just push gray models around and like beat me with like some stratagem combo like they're playing magic the gathering it's just not for me anymore so i kind of just i've had to buy out of it but then to sound like an absolute kind of like set of first world problems i'm then bounded on the other side with this old hammer revival of people who claim to know more about old hammer but were actually half of them are never even old enough to be there but they're espousing these old hammer beliefs that i'm kind of trying to tell them it wasn't like that and then they're like no 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 no, no. it was like that it's it's just like there's no there's nowhere left to go in this warhammer field i'm like i feel like i'm standing like kind of looking around me and just thinking well i better dig down or do something or you know transcend into the sky because none none of what's around me is appealing anymore and that's such a shame uh, old hammer, dude. I hate to, I, I hate, I hate to break it to you, but old hammer is uh, rockabilly for warhammer players. It's just like, it's like, you guys weren't there. What are you doing with your '57 Chevy and your Pompadour? You know, I mean, like, you look like a clown. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that that that's my that's my hot take anyway. Yeah, I mean, I just so many people now who are playing things like Mordheim and stuff like that, and I'm like, kind of like. 
you weren't there the first time so what you kind of and i get it it's fine it's a skirmish game you play it or whatever but like old hammer is almost starting to create its own scene of people who not all of them i've, I've spoke to some really lovely people about old hammer but even the people who are really into old hammer can be quite as toxic as the, the people who are uh, the awful people so it, basically what i'm saying is awful people are everywhere they're not like it's not just new hammer it's not old hammer it's like unfortunately they're they're kind of lurking in the sewers like skaven you know like ready to just kind of <laughs> yeah but look i want to i want to take play the part of the audience the, the listener here particularly the millennial the group that i represent on this podcast um, because you know the, there isn't a certain appeal to eras of Warhammer that aren't ninth. And Jamie, I'm sure you'll agree. If someone's mindset is um, a positive, skewed mindset, then of course you would welcome them into whatever subsection of the hobby you might as well be in. You know, if someone wants to genuinely be interested in old Hammer, what was this thing from the 80s before I was born? And it has genuine questions. Of course, that of course you would be happy to accept them into what you know and the circles that you have you know so it's not to say that um it they're kind of these these hard lines in the sand and if you step over this line then you we then label you this type of person it's not like it's more complicated than that isn't it but i think on the whole there are definitely these trends that you see that kind of emerge from whatever else is going on and kind of um tar certain scenes with a certain brush if you like and it's i think in a, in a lot of ways as people with platforms, it's up to us to kind of push back against those tides and to say, look, we can, you can still come and listen to, for example, two white guys on a podcast talk about Old Hammer, but neither of us are Nazis. And I think <laughs> if, if that makes us a special podcast, then, then that's what's special about us. Do you know what I mean? If, if, if that's what it takes, then that's where we'll be. I don't, it's, it's hard to place yourself in a lot of these things, but I, I just wanted to play the part of the audience there and just kind of make a statement about the fact that it not nothing is off limits as long as you come at it from the right angle. I agree with that 100%. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're we're making some sweeping generalizations and we're you know, kind of poking fun at it, but beneath it all... Uh, yeah, satire, right-wing, that's what you Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> but I think behind it all is, is my point was where I'm coming from because we came out of this kind of toxic scene in RPGs and I was kind of making light of the fact that Warhammer is even worse for this, which which I, I kind of believe it is. Um, so, and it's, it's so, so hard to kind of... Um, fly the flag of kind of free, independent, uh, inclusive thinking in uh, a crowd like the Warhammer crowd online. I think that I think in in, in a lot of these influencers or kind of um, people who are doing all these videos, they are either overtly or kind of unconsciously or subvertively like latching on to these bad ideas, these kind of toxic traits. I don't see a lot of people really pushing forward that this inclusivism in in that kind of warhammer hobby and the, the ones that do i don't i don't know but it just doesn't it doesn't seem to me like there's a possibility of reaching that that kind of nice level ground oh, it's more commercial isn't it yeah well there's a there's a fly in the ointment with the uh youtubers because um games workshop is actually like incredibly liberal with who they give promotional product to so you don't have to be racking in like like hundreds of thousands of likes or subscribes or anything to get GW to just start sending you free shit. It's actually a fairly attainable amount. There's this like 
like over over here in Phoenix, there's like uh, just people who have YouTube channels and they do little, little like by the by the standards of YouTube, small shows that get like a couple thousand views here and there. GW just sends them shit. Like here's a Dominion box. Here's all the new sisters crap. Just take it, play with it, put it on your fucking show. And once that has happened, they own you. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, you're you're not gonna say shit against against GW at that point. Like if you like say what you about the about the podcast, the Long War, which is you know very competitive oriented and it has a bunch of weird characters on it. And one of those guys is the guy who's in charge of Spiky Bits, which is like a terrible website that sucks. And I don't go on it. I get it. But they talk shit on GW all day long, and they don't get any fucking product support. They're always talking about it, like, "Oh yeah, I guess they forgot to send us a book on this one," because they because they have unfiltered opinions about GW. But if you're willing to to get on screen and be like, "Oh wow, General's Handbook 2021," oh god, best General's Handbook ever, even if it is the best General's Handbook ever, you know. They will. They'll just. They just put you on the mailing list, man. You. It's like a, it's having a subscription, you know. Yeah, and um, just a, a bit of a a tiny little behind the scenes um story. And Jamie, we can edit this out if you're not happy. But um, I uh t- today I was checking my phone earlier today, and while I was out, and we we had an email on the human energy field uh Gmail account from a guy who's actually from Scottsdale, Arizona, Brendan, and um, he was representing some influencer company and he was basically saying to us as human energy field what do you think about if we pay you you review products that we, we can send you from uh you know small designers and if you if you if you talk them up on the show and we get we sell them we sell higher numbers because of your review we'll give you money and immediately i didn't even need to ask jamie i just thought you know, that is not our mission statement at all this guy can fuck right off on this is completely it would just be counter to everything we kind of stand for in in uh, quotation marks of human human energy field, you know, it's very easy. Um, if I, if we hadn't have really set out our mission goal of where we want to be or what we want to represent, it would be easy for me to go, oh, oh wow, this is awesome. Yeah, this guy's going to pay me, and we have to review new books. That sounds great. And then Brendan, like you say, they've got you then, and then there's no getting out of it. And then before you know it, the whole kind of direction and tone of the podcast has shifted to something that we never wanted it to be. You have to kind of stick to your ground a little bit, and it's very easy to get snapped up by these these kind of middle range uh, companies and brands, you know, trying to get you to work in their favour. When really, like I was saying earlier, you want to do your own thing, don't you? You want to kind of stand out from the crowd and push back against the the waves. But yeah, anyway, Jamie, there you go. There's a, a little thing that happened to me today. I think um, I, I want to hear Brendan's response to this um, because obviously you, you kind of been in this position, and we've only just started this, and the amount of people offering us free shit. I think is now at one, right? Okay. So, um, <laughs> but I can imagine it's, there's an ego thing that comes into play about being offered free stuff and being asked your opinion and everything. And that that's part of like, part of that devil's bargain of like, oh, you know, am I now important enough for people to send me free shit? Like, but that stuff is shit. Um, and if you get bigger and bigger and say nicer things about other nicer things, you'll get free stuff. And you're right. It's not really a road I want to go down, but I can see how that would be tempting. How have you, Brendan, um, witness that or kind of have you been guilty of it or have you managed to stand up against it have a lot of people want to give you free stuff oh not a lot um i think we were pretty lucky for a minute in that um wizards actually reached out to us and uh we were on the wizards list for a little while 
And um, I think we ended up getting three books out of that. We ended up getting when they when they rebranded the uh, um, the starter set, the one that was supposed to be in Target. And then we got uh, Salt Marsh, Ghosts of Salt Marsh, and we got Acquisitions Incorporated. And they sent us that. They, they, oh, they sent us uh, Strahd, Curse of Strahd. So it was kind of an interesting time in uh, Watsi uh, history because I really feel at that point um, they were doing some pretty shitty books. <laughs> like they just uh, they they like they were kind of on a down cycle. I think that they've kind of picked back up. I think that some of the stuff that they're doing now is much more interesting. But there was like this weird hammock in there where it was just like ugh, like mind boggling uh, releases. And they were sending them to us for free, and they were saying, "You can have the book. Please say something about it online." And so you can actually go back, and we there's some uh, full metal RPG episodes where we review these books. And I think that we're pretty, um, like we don't we don't roast them. We're not like fuck this, but we definitely uh, said, "Well, this is not for us. This is not anything that's of any interest to us." And they did stop sending us the books. Um, <laughs> to, to be clear. They did not want us to uh, to keep doing bad reviews of their books. <laughs> um, Who would have thought? And then Modiphius, uh, we're on the Modiphius list, and Modiphius sends us basically like uh, download keys to like everything. Like like if Modiphius has published anything in like the last three years, I have a fucking Modiphius drive-through code for it in PDF. Uh, but I don't even look at them because I don't give a shit about PDFs. I know I was saying that like PDFs are key to longevity of games now because you need to be a way to communicate them with your friend who might live in, say, the UK, for instance. But um, I don't read PDFs. I don't have PDFs at my table. I read books. I have books at my table when I play. If you want to show me something that you want out of a book, it better be in a fucking book. You better be able to hand it to me. Um, I told them I wrote, I wrote Modiphius and I was like, well, we're happy to review your material, you know? Um, but you do need to send it to us, the actual material. And they were like, no, we aren't going to do that. But then they kept sending us the PDF codes. So, um, I do realize that to a lot of people, of course that has value. And we live, we live in a world where digital products are valuable, but I'm the same to me that they're not that doesn't put them out at all that there's no value to that for them i realize that you know it has been developed and it has been done and that money has been spent on creating that but to me a pdf doesn't mean anything i don't i don't desire it i don't want it and maybe that's because i'm you know part of this this old guard who wants a physical book and you know maybe maybe that's my own issue and i'm a dinosaur but you know i don't i don't care about pdf and and if something existed only in pdf then maybe I'd be missing out on some of that stuff because it, I just wouldn't go for it. I don't think. Oh yeah, I I, I condescend PDFs as well. I'm I'm not I'm not interested in them. We're we're of the same generation, you and I, man. And it's just like I can't get my head around it. I don't want to sit there looking at a glowing device scrolling. To me, like if I if I want to know where something is in a book, like I can kind of remember about where it is and then I can open it or I can put a little tag in there, but this idea of like, oh, well first you go up to the link and then you do a little search and then you follow, follow a hypertext link and then you get to the reference and I'm like, ah, I just, I have no interest. I don't want to do it. it. It feels weird to me. I have no interest. Um, if if Modiphius had said, oh, sure, we'll fucking listen to the show and we love your work and we're just going to start sending you core books, I'm sure Full Metal RPG would have just become a Modiphius podcast because, <laughs> you know, 
I, I think Modiphius's product is interesting. I don't have a problem with it. They have a bunch of cool um they have a bunch of cool licenses that I'm interested in. Uh Mutant Year Zero, Vampire, Alien, uh uh some other shit. Not that John Carter Mars. Dune. Dune. I'm 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 I like the Modiphius stuff, but they didn't want to send me hard copies, so I mean Oh, Infinity. They did a huge line of Infinity role-playing games, and I thought that that was, like, really interesting. I was like, oh, a role-playing game is what Infinity needs to take it to the next level of immersion, you know? Um, never read a single book. <laughs> it's only sent me PDFs. <laughs> so I know I know we've dealt with some pretty, some pretty heavy subjects, um, but just, you know, before we let you go or anything, I, I want to get some something a bit lighter. Sure. I think people would people would like to uh, hear your kind of hot picks. What what games have come out over the last you know whatever time period you want? Last couple of years, say. Um, so it's br- new stuff. What have you really enjoyed? What do you think people should be checking out? Uh, whether it's whether it's big releases, small releases, whatever. What if you had a chance to to pimp out some stuff now that you that you think is cool that people should check out? What would that be? Oh well, I'm gonna ride your coattails, Jamie, because I actually heard about this from you. So you're influencer number one on this one. But uh, um, I'm I'm very happy that I'm seeing jackals in bookstores now. Um, I was in San Diego a few weeks ago. They had a copy of Jackals. Uh, Imperial Outpost has Jackals, and I have Jackals on my on my shelf. Um, jackals is great. I think if you're if I mean if you listen to Human Energy Field, you already heard that Jackals is great. If you didn't buy it when Jamie told you to buy it, now Brendan from Full Metal RPG is telling you to buy it. It has two seals of approval on the cover right there. Um, I think that the innovations that they made in Mage, uh, the uh, Awakening um, uh, 20th Anniversary Edition makes that the fucking finest edition of that game that has ever been written. It is unfucking real how good that game is. I mean, that game has been notoriously difficult to get your mind space around and to run for like almost 30 years now. Uh, That book, it irons that game out and it makes it the game that you always want it to be. It, it's on the level of Vampire the Masquerade at this point. It is an it, that's an unbelievable addition, and they did it by not doing the thing that Onyx Path does, where they essentially just like copy paste all the old shit into one spot and then make sure that the words line up right this time and the the systems kind of work together. They did it by releasing a whole new edition that brings the game forward, that tackles the way that the world has changed in the 20 years since the game first came out. It is brilliant. It's also like 700 pages, and I mean, good fucking luck getting through it. Like, I was reading it. I was like, I'm going to run it for my friends. Got to page like 300. I'm like in the fucking character creation section, and I'm not going to lie. I've, I've run a bit of ground, but um, <laughs> I would... I would love, I would love to, uh, to, to run it. Um, I have to say, and let's see, I don't want to overlook anything. I'm just going to just quickly look at my shelf real fast since this is a great question, but, um, I don't want to, to leave without saying Ravenloft for fifth edition is fucking boss. (laughs) It's It's a good book. Um, it's, a really like fun document 
if you're an old school Ravenloft player, you'll find just enough there that you recognize and remember to inspire your memory to make you want to run Ravenloft again. If you're a new school player, uh, it's open and expansive enough that you can do with it whatever you want. Uh, I ran it just a couple days ago. Had a blast. Can't wait to run it again. Um, let's see. I don't know. Is there anything else? Is Oh, you know what? You know what? Uh, and I don't, I don't know if you guys are onto this, but uh, don't sleep on Electric Bastion Land. Electric Bastion Land, Chris McDowell's Electric Bastion Land is really fucking good. And if anybody in the audience is like a amateur game designer uh, and they're thinking like they want to break outside the kind of like the, the path of like what a role-playing game looks like and how it feels on the inside, Chris McDowell, you cannot go wrong with Chris McDowell stuff, and especially Electric Bastion Land. So, so just uh, like next level. Like you lo- open up that book and you just want to like crack open his skull and like look at his <laughs> brain ridges or something because you're just like, how does he come up with this stuff? It's so good. It's the kind of... It's the kind of game that makes you like angry at him because he's like so good at it. You know what I'm saying? What else? Uh, am I overlooking something, Jamie? What are you thinking, man? What do you think? What's the hot shit? No, man. I, no, I just wanted to get a, a quick view of what you know, what you thought was was super hot, what you were enjoying right now, and you, you've told us that, man. So I appreciate it. You know, like Electric Bastion Land. That's not on my. Uh, that's not on my list, but it will be. Oh, bro. I think you gotta get that one. I think you'll love it. I think you and Henry will love it. It's uh, it's something else. There's so I could do a whole episode where I just get into all the little things in Electric Bastion Land. I mean, I, I, am I? Do I enjoy Morkborg? Of course, of course, I enjoy Morkborg. It's a great game. But like, if we're talking about some deeper cuts that people might not, I mean, I, I said Ravenloft. How deep of a cut could that be? Uh, you know, Morkborg's great. Morkborg is great. Also, it's like a go-to OSR game, and you don't even have to worry about um giving money to some fucking Nazi when you buy it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's the ultimate. Always a plus. <laughs> you never know. You never know these days. Yeah, man, that's what I got. That That's good. That's loads, you know. Um, there's, there's some good hits there. You know, with the D&D, um, you know, I, I kind of picked up the early stuff. I haven't kept up with it. So maybe Ravenloft is something I will have a little look at. You know, um, again, with the Mage, I love Mage and I... And I totally chime with everything you're saying about how hard mage can be to crack so you know i've not been a big fan previously of checking out these 20th anniversaries and all this kind of stuff but you know if you're going to say that this is this is almost uh the, the version it was always meant to be you know maybe maybe that's time to look at that you know 700 pages doesn't scare me i'm okay <laughs> <laughs> Dude, let me let me just let me just pitch this to you right okay so what they what they did if you have if you have a second let me just pitch this to you what, what, what they did with 20th anniversary was rather than having the traditions be these good guys over here and then over here's the technocracy and they're bad guys and we're going to give you some uh you know convention books for the technocracy and if you have a real out there storyteller you can every so often get a weird chronicle where you're playing a technocrat right it's like an anti-heroes campaign what they did is they took the traditions, the technocracy, and the crafts, and they made them all on a level playing field. These are all characters you can play 
at the jump and they are, you can all have them be in the same group, right? And uh, they made the traditions kind of objectionable and they made the technocracy kind of like, well, uh, you know, worldwide literacy and, you know, indoor plumbing. There's a point to all this, right? And then they took the crafts and they showed how these guys approach ma- uh, magic a little bit differently and that there's some, some, some nuance to that that exists outside of the traditions. And then they say, you can play, it's just, now it's just like Vampire, where you got those, all 13 clans. Now you've got like, you've got probably like more, I think you've got like 15 or 16 once you get in all the, the main crafts. And they really hit you with this idea of, in the late 90s, early 2000s, the technocrats declared that the Ascension War was over. They, they won, right? And um, if, if they won, then why is everything going to shit? Why is the fucking world falling apart? And you have these technocrats who are like, like going over to this guy who they know is a tradition mage, and they're like, look, everything's fucked. We got to sort this out. We're, like, we're the only ones that can do it. Let's get together. Let's fuck all this. You're the traditions. I'm the technocracy. Let's fucking figure out how we're going to stop the world from being consumed in a giant whirlpool, you know? And I'm like, that's the game. That's fucking unbelievable. You know what I'm saying? I love it. I love it. Yeah, it it sounds sounds pretty good. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. <laughs> that's the closest you'll hear to Jamie being modernized. Yeah. <laughs> that's the closest you've got him. So thank you. I think um, we're going to need to do a whole mage episode and it will be sad to do it without you, Brendan. So we're gonna, definitely going to need you to come back and we'll do like a, fu- a full length mage breakdown from, oh. from all through the eras and oh, all the editions. I would I mean? love it. I would love to do that with you guys. A mage deep dive major deep dive i i love that game so much and i'd love to hear more of it from from the two of you you know what i mean as i'm sure the listeners would as well absolutely and i don't want you guys to think that just because i'm retiring from full metal rpg i'm done commenting on uh rpgs in fact since i've stepped away from the microphone my brain has had more sizzling ideas on it than it has in years because it has that room, you know, to have to to uh, to think about that stuff, and uh, I'm really ha- I'll still be doing Realm of Fire. So if people want to check out my new podcast, Realm of Fire. Me and my friend Rob, we give our hot takes on um, on Games Workshop stuff, and we definitely like manage to kind of bite our thumbs at the fascists once per episode. So we definitely get it in there, um, and of course. I love listening to Human Energy Field. I have top 10 RPGs queued up in my car ride. I'll be listening to that on the way in. So, uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for having me. Thank you both for being such strong advocates for Full Metal RPG over the last like five years. Uh, I wouldn't be where I am without you. I love your work, and when I'm able to come and just like sit and have conversation with like minds like yourselves, it is, of course, the highlight of my day. My week, even. Thank you. Yeah, we, we appreciate your time, man, genuinely. So thank you very much. Yeah, I think I speak for I speak for all the listeners um, that it's it's a privilege to be here with, as you said, two of Instagram's very first <laughs> RPG <laughs> RPG influencers. So from my point of view, it's just I'm just it's just a privilege to be here as always, and uh, to be able to be able to kind of interact with you guys and hopefully you know carry that on into the Discord and elsewhere where we we all like to maintain those conversations in whatever form they they kind of take on so it's just it's always a blast like you said always 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 a great time 
Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So thanks again, gentlemen. Thank you very much. And to anybody who's listening, uh, thank you for listening. If you've listened to Full Metal RPG, thank you. Have a great night. Thanks. Good night. Stay hydrated, guys.